The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast on X-Men Origins. Help me, John. X-Men Origins, colon, Wolverine. Wolverine. Right. There's no punctuation in between X-Men and Origins? No, I think there should be. I, I, the you know editor in me wants to put a colon there, too, but I think they maybe decided a double colon was probably bad for publicity purposes. It's hard to fit on the market. Yeah. So And so joining me here is John Swansburg. Hi, John. Hi. Good to be here. Who's Slate's culture editor and who is also my uh, loyal spoiler companion who sat through one of the worst movies of the year so far, I would say. Yeah, you know, I mean, so. I was I was walking out ready to say it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I, you you reminded me that there there have been some worse worse ones. Well, uh, I just I, I was just saying that the Love Guru I think has right. to hold that that title for at least a couple years. Fair enough. But uh, but not many people had to sit through that. We should that. revisit the issue, uh, you know, in a couple of years and, and see if we. I think that I think this could give uh, Love Guru a run for its money. Well, so should we start off with it with a brief summary and maybe keep in mind that let's see. Well, first of all, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, obviously zip ahead now or tune back in after you've seen the movie. Right. But uh, do you think we need any X Men background before we? Um, I don't know. I don't know that I could provide it. I think you and I both are not exactly scholars of this of this series. Although I think you you and I both, uh, we should say at the outset, uh, liked at least the first two X Men movies. Even myself, not being a, a huge comic book movie guy, I felt like those were comic book movies that were entertaining, good summer popcorn fun. So Wolverine is one of the X Men. I guess one of the sort of leading characters from that from that comic book. So, because the title is X Men Origins, right? This is the fourth movie in the franchise. Right. As you say, the first two are clearly divided from this, the second two because they were directed by Brian Singer and essentially sort of stand up as I would say solid summer popcorn movies. Then right. things start to really fall apart, and I think they've definitively disintegrated at right. this point. Especially when when the origins thing comes up, right? It's sort of like the baby Muppets. Like you know yeah. that the franchise really needs refreshment. I've started point. rolling my eyes at pretty much all prequels at this point. Like I, I just this whole idea that we need to revisit the uh, foundational um, stories of these characters, I just find tedious. Uh, it just seems like they've run out of ideas of how to carry the thing forward. So they say, well, let's let's go back to the cradle and see how Wolverine started. Um, and I'm content to have his, you know, dark past history be some, somewhat mysterious. I don't really care to right, find out. Right, he's super. How much do you need to yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. And the, and the thing that's crazy about this movie is I don't think I left it understanding his background any more than I did beforehand. I mean, this movie is so muddled and doesn't really actually make much of an attempt to explain a lot of basic things like how like how he got his powers. I don't really have a a working understanding of of why why it is that this kid was born with the ability to unleash these uh, incredibly long nails from his knuckles. Um, that's not that's not broached. I mean, we, <laughs> for instance, um, well, that is a talent that he discovers in the opening scene, though. Do you want to try right. to take it away with some? Sort okay, of staff so we and a yeah plot yeah. Let me let me try to do that. So we meet uh, Logan, who is the the young boy uh, who will grow into uh, Wolverine when he's quite young. He's like five or six, and the you know we we find out that the the man who he thinks is his father is not his father, and um, which we should mention is the classic comic book turnaround at this point. There has to be the line which this movie contains: "He wasn't your father, son." Right. Right. <laughs> So there's this kind of weird Oedipal moment where Wolverine kills in rage the man who he thinks has murdered his father, only to learn at the last second that the man that Wolverine has murdered is his real father. So it's this weird Oedipal thing that feels kind of like the screenwriters checked it off a list of elements that need to be in an Origins movie. Another and it, revelation that he gets thereby is that is that the future um, Sabretooth is actually his brother, right? right? The future right. Lee Schreiber. And and at the first, Sabretooth seems to be, this, or his name, I guess his name is Victor, he seems to be a sort of like guardian, older brother type who, who's going to be a buddy of of Wolverine, although ultimately uh, Victor slash Sabretooth will grow into a, a much more sort of evil 
evil character. But yeah, that's that's I guess the thrust of the of of that little Oedipal moment. The whole daddy issues thing doesn't really come back in the movie. It just sort of feels like a de rigueur derriger thing that they needed to throw in anyway then we we sort of flash forward during the credit sequence and we see wolverine and Sabretooth all grown up and we can tell them apart because wolverine has a beard but no mustache and Sabretooth has a handlebar mustache so if you were to put them together you'd have a full beard but they have this kind of yin yang beard thing going on and they are we see them fighting in a series of wars starting with the civil war they're fighting on the union side and then uh next we see world war one world war two and then finally Nam. And by the time we get to Nam, we sort of see that Sabretooth is kind of turned into this mercenary evil guy. He tries to rape a Vietnamese villager, and Wolverine, being the good guy, prevents him from doing so. But a fracas ensues, and they end up in a, a military brig, uh, at which point they meet this guy named Stryker, who's sort of like a quasi-governmental agent, maybe a military guy. and he Played, ma- by the way, we should note by Danny Houston, who's one of my favorite sort of, who is that guy again? Yeah, kind of character actor. totally actors. that kind of guy. I sort of felt like he was... He was like a really lame choice in casting for the for this movie. Like I never really, I never really was scared of him. He's sort of a little too dopey. I thought. Yeah, he doesn't really work in the movie, but I, I do always like to see Danny Houston. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a definitely a familiar face, but in this, he's like not quite sinister enough, I think, to carry this role. In part because what's one of the things that's weird about this movie is that you have all these mutants who have these ridiculous powers, and they're all being sort of manipulated marionette style by this guy Stryker, who works for the government. But Stryker himself doesn't have any special powers. It's there are many moments in the movie when you sort of ask yourself why isn't Wolverine like sticking one of his huge fingernails in this guy's eye and that's that you know it's like always Stryker finding a way to, to play the mutants off one another and that could work if you had a sort of more uh, an actor with a little bit more pizzazz or panache or something but I don't know he doesn't ever quite strike me as being uh, savvy enough to pull out the whole thing off anyway he recruits the uh, the uh, two two bearded men into his sort of dirty dozen outfit of mutants that he has and they go off uh, and and sort of do this sort of CIA style uh, series of uh, I don't know like counterinsurgency effort. It's like not really clear what they're doing. Although the the one we see them take part in is in Lagos, and they're they're looking for what later turns out to be a, a big rock of adamantine, which will be the the substance that is fused to Wolverine's um, skeleton to make him truly indestructible. Yeah, adamantium is sort of the holy rock of this right. this franchise, as right. I see it, the kryptonite. Uh, and then eventually Wolverine kind of gets tired of that whole that whole deal, and he he goes he decides he's had enough of it. He he kind of gets the sense that what they're doing is not is not good and uh, on the up and up. So he moves to the Pacific Northwest and uh, shacks up with a hot school teacher. Wait, doesn't he move to Canada? Right, right, Canada. Uh, which is he's he's Canadian. That's like part of his his story, right? Right. I wanted to point that out because yeah, one yeah. of the few funny lines in the film is at one point when when Stryker's trying to kind of guilt him into serving his country, and he says, "Actually, I'm Canadian." And right, he drives right. Off. Yeah, don't do it for me. Do it for your country. And then he drives off and says, "I'm Canadian." Um, so yeah, he moves to Canada, shacks up with hot girlfriend, um, tries to you know live a, a quiet life as a lumberjack, but of course, the whole mutant fighting you know thing comes back to to tear him back into the, into that world. So he gets dragged back in uh, to the whole Stryker um, mutant world nexus. war nexus. Yeah. And basically what ensues is a series of, of fights between various mutants. Uh, so uh, Victor shows up at one point and, and kills the uh, girlfriend in an attempt to sort of rile Wolverine up and sort of bring him back into the fray. Which and, is another moment, by the way, I'll just observe that you have to have in a superhero origins movie, right? right? The moment that you lose someone, whether it's the uncle in Spider-Man, right? You've got to lose a loved one right. and sort of swear revenge. 
revenge and sort of harden yourself, and that's what happens to. to and Wolverine oh my God, this sw- this swearing and revenge scene is about as bad as you could you know as you could script one. I mean, <laughs> literally, Wolverine falls to his knees and howls at the heavens and and vows revenge. As the camera I mean, pulls far up, as, yeah, above. as the camera pulls away. I mean, it's just if you if you imagine a cliche of of that scene in your mind, that's how they that's how they did it. And not only that, uh, we get a flashback of that very moment later in the movie. So it's not <laughs> you have to suffer through it once and then again a second time in flashback, maybe even in black and white in the flashback. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of a like, sepia tone flashback. Right. Oh, my God. It's it's atrocious. Um, so anyway, the upshot is that the rest of the movie is going to be a sort of series of fights between Wolverine and Victor and then a, a sort of menagerie of other mutants who show up. Uh, because Wolverine and Victor, the two brothers, their alliances kind of keep shifting, right? I right. mean, they can't sort of decide whether they're going to have this uneasy alliance because they're both mutants and they need to protect each other, which brothers. is how it's set out to be, and their brothers. Or, you know, whether they're sworn enemies because Victor has killed the girlfriend, but we'll find out later that he didn't actually kill her. It was all staged. Right. Right. But I think this is one of the problems of the movie, actually, is that the brother relationship is... I guess the movie wants to sort of pass it off as complex, but actually it's just confusing. It's just muddled. Yeah. You have no idea what their kind of um, moral or familial motivations are, obligations are. Right. I mean, you just have this sense because you know Wolverine is the hero and you've seen, maybe seen the other movies that Wolverine is a good guy. And then you get this sense because you've got you've seen this snippet of Victor trying to rape some poor Vietnamese villager that he's maybe not a good guy. And then that's kind of left. That's kind of it. Uh, you never quite understand why Victor is more inclined uh, towards, uh, I mean, I guess you could, the, the Victor's dad, who ends up being Wolverine's dad, does it seems like he was kind of a rotten guy, and maybe that affected him more. I don't know. I mean, it's just you never. It's never really clear. We need another origins movie to truly. Understand. Yeah, we need Victor origins. Um, or what's his name? Catamount. <laughs> Sabretooth. Sabretooth, right. I, one of the things, Kitty litter? I don't know. <laughs> one of the things that I found really annoying, not, not knowing anything about, about his story going in, was like, so his power is that his nails get really long when he gets angry and oh, yeah, wants to fight. Oh, yeah, we should note that, that both of their powers involve fingernails. Right, it's, like, it's a total fingernail movie. Uh, so his, he has like these like really kind of gross nails that get even longer and grosser when he fights. But it wasn't clear to me at all what the hell he was supposed to be. He kind of moves about like a cat. But I was like, is this guy a lynx? Is he a bobcat? So I guess he's... No, that's a real fault in the movie. I mean, yeah. something that's going to lay down the origins. You Unfortunately, you actually have to have a bit of exposition. You have to have a moment where sort of... Patrick Stewart was the one who fulfilled this function in the first X-Men movie. Whenever you needed to know something about the mutant universe, right. you would just intone it from behind a desk, exactly. and then you would know it. But there is nobody to class up this movie in that way. There's no Ian McKellen. There's no Patrick Stewart. Right. Danny well, Houston is Well, there is, is Patrick, Patrick Stewart in the very end. Makes a tiny appearance. <laughs> yeah, but, but he's never... Yeah, he does, he's not around for for exposition. So, anyway, Victor. Uh, the movie uh, contrived to have Victor and uh, um, and Wolverine fight each other a bunch of times, but. These guys are indestructible. We've we've sort of that's been established right from the beginning. I mean, we see them get shot in all of their uh, battle scenes. They were actually supposed to be killed by a firing squad, and they live through that. So it becomes very clear right away that it's really hard to knock these guys off. And so a lot of battles between them, and then between them and other people ensue. And one very basic dramatic problem with the movie, I thought, was that. I had no idea how to kill one of these guys. So until the very end, they start talking more, you know, that it seems like decapitation is a good, a good way to start, at least, if you're trying to kill a mutant, uh, particularly a Wolverine or Victor mutant. But, I mean, when these guys are fighting, I'm like, well, okay, so now... The stakes are really, really low. Right, it's like now a huge log has fallen on Wolverine. Is he dead? I don't know. Is that, kind of, is that the kind of thing that will kill a Wolverine? I guess not, because he survives that. Now he's, you know, been scratched to, you know, beyond recognition. Will that kill him? Nope, that healed too. Then later in the movie, there's this kind of great really campy moment where we do learn because Stryker opens up a like mahogany box inside of which is uh, six bullets made of adamantium and a sort of old school style uh, Colt revolver and he intones 
the only way to kill him is to shoot him with adamantine bullets because you know adam he's his skeleton has been fused with adamantium so of course the only way to kill him is to shoot him with a <laughs> bullet made from the same so substance which my response was so bullets made of bone will kill people automatically <laughs> right. whatever your skeleton's made of right a it's bullet just completely made of that will kill you. completely absurd uh that that's what <laughs> that's the, the the thing that will take this guy out Let's stop for a moment for a word from our sponsor, Audible.com, or rather a word from us about our sponsor. Audible.com is the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment on the web. They have a fantastic archive of audiobooks, and uh, they have also a deal with Slate right now where if you go to our page, which is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler, and sign up for a deal where you get a free audiobook for joining, and if you decide not to keep your membership, you still get to keep your free book. And we generally like to do a recommendation of an audiobook that's sort of vaguely thematically related to our spoiler. So the one we're going to do today, it was sort of hard to find one. We couldn't find the perfect book about mutants. And then our engineer had a great suggestion of a Philip K. Dick novel called Golden Man that posits apparently a world somewhat similar to the X-Men world in which mutants and humans are sort of vying for power. And he recommended it highly. So that exists read by Grover Gardner, none other. So that's our recommendation for the week. And go and check out Audible. Well, anyway, let's, let's talk about some of the ridiculous fights with other indestructible mutants. There's, okay. there's a, a scene that sort of purports to be one of the few comic scenes in Ugh. the movie. I mean, you and I both agreed that this movie had it sort of played things for sort of a Hellboy, sort of a lighter tone and right. with some wit. It, it could have been fun. Obviously, you know, the idea of a bunch of mutants slugging it out in the Canadian Rockies is not, not an unpleasant one. <laughs> no. no, that could <laughs> have been great. <laughs> who doesn't love an afternoon spent with that? But. But there was no wit. And then there was this one sort of horrible attempt at broad humor. Do you want to talk about Sure. It? So uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Wolverine has decided that he wants to go after Stryker. He's sort of f- pieced together the idea that he's finally figured out that Stryker's really playing him and he's trying to find him. So he he gets some information that Stryker has a secret island uh, on which he's collecting all these different mutants and somehow and he's trying and he's trying to take the powers of each mutant and put them all together in one super, super mutant who's called Agent Eleven. So Wolverine knows this, but he doesn't know where the island is. So he tracks down one of his former comrades from the Dirty Dozen unit uh, from years ago in Lagos and what whatnot. And this guy who he tracks down used to be, not svelte, but was like a built guy. And I guess in the ensuing years has developed a real eating uh, problem and is just a huge huge guy like weighs like 400 pounds and um it's it's for for whatever reason it becomes the the story is that Wolverine has to beat this guy up in a boxing ring to get the information about well, where the island is. Well, this guy, we should is. note, is one of the X-Men, right? He is a mutant, too. He's a mutant, too, yeah. And um, it's never really clearly established, but I believe his mutant name is the Blob. That's a mutant, right? Oh, I see. So when we first meet the Blob, he's not Blobby. But when we meet him the second time, he's really Blobby. And he's also, not only is he Blobby, but he's like really, he has a, he's really, um, he has sort of a short fuse and doesn't like to be uh, reminded of his Blobbiness. So there's this like, ridiculous scene with the Blob, who's like the, the guy we met before clearly wearing a fat suit. It's like the makeup is bad. A very insulting fat suit. It's like suit. a very insulting fat suit. They're great, <laughs> well put. And the makeup is bad. And it's just like, it, it really, it feels like this scene was dropped in from uh, an Austin Powers movie. I mean, the guy looks like Fat Bastard. And it's it's supposed to be played for, for laughs or a bunch of sort of fat jokes in it. And it's just the tone... I mean, this movie's never really totally in control of, of its tone, but this tone is definitely different than everything else, and it's not funny. It's sort of offensive, and also it's just like a lame plot point. Like, really, Wolverine, who's so powerful, needs, needs to, to box, box this guy? guy? Yeah, it's like, why, why doesn't he just threaten him with one of his adamantium fingernails and, and have that be that? 
It's incredibly bad. So eventually Wolverine does defeat the Blob in this boxing match, but little does it avail him because the Blob doesn't actually know the location of the secret island, right? So he right. in turn is <laughs> really getting very adamantine. <laughs> this blob. He sends uh, Wolverine to New Orleans where he meets up with one of your right. favorite actors. Right. So he meets up with this uh, mutant named Gambit, uh, who I guess whose street name is Remy LeBeau, uh, who is uh, biding his time playing cards on Bourbon Street. I guess the idea is that he's escaped from from the island, so he knows where the island is. Uh, and yeah, so uh, Remy LeBeau slash Gambit is played by Taylor Kitsch. Uh, I was very dismayed to at this reveal, um, being a huge Taylor Kitsch fan. He um, plays Tim Riggins on Friday Night Lights, one of my favorite television shows. It's a total heartthrob. Ladies want to be with him. Guys want to be him. He's totally great. He's no worse than anyone else in this movie, but he his reputation will be sullied in my mind by having been in it. Anyway, Gambit knows where the island is, and lo and behold, it's not some island in the Pacific, you know, some atoll that was, you know, where this uh, secret project is going on. It's Three Mile Island. It's hiding in plain sight, as Gambit says. So they fly in on his, like, twin prop uh, airplane that he happens to have, and Wolverine uh, is deposited on Three Mile Island, where uh, the sort of battle royale that ends the movie takes place. Do you want to describe that, Dana? Well, I mean, just because we were talking about sort of fights in which you have no idea what the stakes are and who can kill whom and right. why, we, I think we should just mention the final battle royale, which takes place, like like in one of my favorite Simpsons episodes, the climax takes place atop the sort of Three Mile Island-style nuclear reactor, right. which is deactivated. Right. And they're fighting with uh, this character named Deadpool. That's his, you know, super name. And he was formerly their colleague, Wade, back in the, the Dirty Dozen days, right? right Played right. by Ryan Reynolds, another strange piece of cat that doesn't really work. Although he really I'm only sort of has like two actor. lines. Yeah, it's sort of a weird, weird thing that he's threaded into the movie. So he sort of has become, you know, the, this this super fused together, ultra powerful mutant called Deadpool. Who they, they then they being Wolverine and Str- and Sabretooth, the two brothers, right. then fight it out along the rim of one of these reactors with him. Right. And to me, this was one of the sort of worst choreographed and most confusing fights of all because it was never clear exactly what powers he had that were so much greater than theirs. Basically, they were all just sort of fighting like three guys punching each other out on top of a nuclear Yeah, reactor. I mean, the idea is that Deadpool has been has all of their powers now. Like, he has the entire Dirty Dozen uh, like every, each of their different powers have been somehow injected into without him. them having been taken away from them. Somehow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it, it seems like the powers are like you can get. It's like you, you extract like a little bit like of uh, a vial of the power and you inject it into you know Agent Eleven slash Deadpool and he all of a sudden has the power. But let me just point out again that it's the movie's job to explain all this stuff to us. So if yeah. we get a bunch of emails from fanboys saying, "Well, don't you know how Deadpool got constructed?" I right. Mean, I don't. I don't need to know shit about this stuff. Right. I just want to go in and have the movie. Tell the me. only thing that we basically get is kind of this hilarious line where I guess, you know, the, the Agent 11 Deadpool uh, setup hasn't quite finished when, when Stryker sends him into battle with uh, the brothers, the, the brothers Keratin. And as a, you know, the, the, some nurse says, but the bonding process isn't finished. <laughs> like, you don't really know what the hell that means. Um, maybe that's sort of a setup for why Deadpool isn't quite invincible yet. But suffice it to say, as, as you noted, that, you know, the uh, Victor and Logan or Wolverine and uh, Catamount are, you know, f- uh, fight this guy and, uh, and you know, they, they defeat him. And not in any kind of interesting way. Like, the, the, even, the, even the just, like, the punching and, and stuff is not even choreographed in any kind of great way. And the, the effects are sort of 
you know, B plus. Well, it doesn't have that sort of diehard thrill of just sort of clever ideas about physics, you right. know, just the ways that things could fly into other things. It, it's all, it all seems very, at that point, so boring and predictable. You're just so tired of it. So when they finally decapitate Deadpool and throw him down the middle of the nuclear reactor, right. which you sort of wonder, why wasn't everybody just decapitating everybody from the beginning? With right. It's like, what's the, bu- what's the point of nails? like the body blow if you know that you have to cut the guy's head off? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And we we won't even get into all the craziness that happens after that, which I think is just a setup for the sequel, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's got to be. There's, this is the first Origins movie of the X-Men movies, and we've got the origins of God knows how many mutants Oy. ahead of us. But let's just touch on, before we, we close, just a few of the uh, the lines that you cringe to find yourself hearing in this movie. You were scribbling them down like crazy. Yes. Okay, so my favorite one uh, happened relatively early in the movie where um, they're sort of setting up the supposedly bucolic life of uh, Wolverine, who's left the Dirty Dozen and is now shacked up with this school teacher, and, and you know trying to enjoy the, the a peaceful life in the Canadian wilderness as a logger. But you know he's still haunted by his past, of course. And one night he w- wakes up in a sweat, and uh, I think maybe even he screams because he's had an awful dream. And uh, the girlfriend walks into the room and and says, oh, "Did you have another?" Another nightmare, and he says, "Yes." And she says, "Was it the wars?" <laughs> Which is like that was hilarious. Like, yeah, it was the wars. I fought in the Civil War. I fought in World War One. I. I fought in World War Two. I. I fought in Nam. Every now and then, I have a nightmare. <laughs> it was just, just a such a lead PTSD. There. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the great thing was, of course, it wasn't about the wars. It was like he was dreaming about some uh, about Victor or something. I mean, it just it just such a lead balloon. Uh, <laughs> but I mean that I mean that you know there were several other lines. I think you had a, a great example too. All right, one of the most painful lines to me was just sort of a joke that took a long time coming, and you were completing it in your mind while waiting for the movie to complete it. It was when Stryker, the Danny Houston character, you know, the sort of guy who's organizing all the mutants decides to stab this four-star general, basically to kill his supreme commander so that he can you know, continue with his nefarious plans. And, <laughs> and his line as he's stabbing is, is something like, and when I took this job, I swore to defend our country against all enemies. Foreign, get out a big blade, <laughs> stick it in his gut, <laughs> pull it out. And domestic. <laughs> <laughs> you can just see the ellipsis in the screenplay. It's <laughs> so painful. Just imagining the crew trying to keep a straight face as they're waiting for the oh my second God. half of the line. Uh, one more one more detail uh, that's totally absurd and maybe a good one to end on is that, so at the very end, uh, we were skipping over some detail, but Wolverine has uh, and his brother have defeated the uh, Agent 11 Deadpool character. And um, but Stryker is still alive, and he loads up uh, his his you know silver Colt forty five with his adamantium bullets, and uh, he walks out to try to find Wolverine, and and some you know attendant is like, but wait, you know even if you shoot him with those bullets, won't he heal? And Stryker expositionally replies, his brain will heal, but his memories won't come back. Because, of course, this movie has to set up that Wolverine, I think, later doesn't quite, un- doesn't quite know his origins. I mean, when we meet him in the X-Men movies, he's not quite – he has these flashbacks, but he's not quite sure where he came from. So the movie needs to, needs to get to this point where uh, they can have the entire uh, movie – uh, what's transpired be erased from Wolverine's memory. So eventually Stryker does track down Wolverine on Three Mile Island, and he, he shoots him several times with adamantium bullets, which actually don't prove lethal, But he, and he shoots him right between the eyes at one point, and Wolverine does heal, but when he comes back to at the very end of the movie, he uh, doesn't recall any of the 
events that have transpired before, which left uh, this viewer feeling like he, uh, if he could be assured that uh, shooting himself in the head with an adamantium bullet would erase the experience of having seen the movie, but uh, he would still recover. I think I would have <laughs> gladly taken that, taken that option. You have to shoot yourself with a bullet that's somehow made of the celluloid that the movie was shot <laughs> yeah, on. Exactly. It's like a homeopathic remedy. Right. All right. Well, John, until X-Men Origins 2, Catamount. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, thanks a lot for seeing this terrible movie, and thank you for uh, joining me for My this pleasure. spoiler special. Thanks for having me. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.